Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we discuss principles that help us live beyond the mask. My name's Robbie Angle, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace in our relationships with God, ourselves, and others. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Let's jump in. My name is Robbie Engel, and I serve as the president of Trueface, which is such an honor, especially in times like this. And today's podcast is going to be a little different than our normal formats because there's a lot going on in our country. Uh, it feels like over the past few months that we've been filled with fear. It's COVID nineteen uh, that's led to a lot of economic uncertainty and health insecurity and instability, and. I don't know, it feels like we've been a country on edge in a lot of ways. Uh, We've been emotionally on edge. And then it feels like within a matter of weeks, because it was, we witnessed the injustices of Armad Aubrey being shot on camera while running. Uh, We hear of Breonna Taylor being shot by the police in her bed. And then we watched George Floyd uh, being killed while lying on the ground. And that comes on the tail end of a couple months that were already anxiety producing. And it it just feels like we're in a hard, confusing time as a country. And here at Trueface, our mission is to equip people to understand who God says we are and to experience authentic community. We're a group of people desiring to love more effectively, to learn to trust God and others more deeply and experience grace more fully And in doing this, we get to experience the peace and freedom of the original good news, what Jesus made possible. And this amazing, beautiful message of grace is so deeply needed in our country and around the world right now. We have a father who's a father in the business of redeeming what has been broken, and there's a lot that feels broken relationally right now. He is in the business of unity and not division, and there's a lot of division, and he's in the business of restoration as he draws his sons and daughters to himself and together in love. And so all of us from racial backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, are wondering, what do we do? We're wondering, what does love require of us? We've got anxiety about, or at least I do, of offending or saying the wrong thing, uh, as a white guy, uh, I don't know what I don't know. And as a lot of as white people in the majority uh, culture, and unfortunately, that's a lot of what we don't know for a lot of us. So we're just nervous. We don't know what to do. And uh, I, I at least feel a sense of anxiety just doing this podcast because I don't want to un- unintentionally offend or hurt somebody or say the wrong thing. I've got personally a lot of confusion about what I can do in this time, but I'm confident that in love, especially in following how Jesus lived, that I cannot be silent right now in this season of hurt for my black brothers and sisters. And so that's our hope for this podcast. I want to do one where we can lean in and walk away with a little bit better idea of what love requires of us in this season. So we're just going to have a conversation and share it with you guys, our True Face family. We're going to wade into this together, and y'all are good at this, so I'm going to assume that you're going to give enough grace for us uh, in this conversation uh, as I have this conversation with two friends of mine, and I have no intention of trying to represent the voice for all white people. And I know Cam and Keisha do not uh, have the desire to try to represent uh, all black people, but we're just going to just gonna have a conversation as a couple friends and talk about how we can help each other love more effectively. Uh, and I'm super excited to in- introduce our two guests today. We got a, a male and a female representing different perspectives. And the male, the beautiful male sitting across from me, is Cameron Williams. Uh, Cam and I have been friends for a couple years now. We were in a men's group together. And then when I shifted into the role at Trueface, Cam became the new Trueface accountant. So he works here on our team. And Keisha and her husband, David Brown, have been really close friends of Emily and I for a lot of years. How many years has it been, Keisha? Four? It's about four or five years. It's it's uh they have been close to our family, and white people don't really do godparents, so (laughs) like it's just not not something we do. Uh, but for Zane and Moses and Naomi, a couple of my kids, Keisha, you and David are pretty much that. Cam, Keisha, welcome to the True Face Podcast. Thanks for joining. How are y'all doing? Thanks for having me. This is awesome. 
So, all right, so we're gonna jump in. I got a lot of questions for y'all. So, how are you feeling in this season? That's a big question. Um, and as as the seasons change, when one, one month moves to another, it changes how I feel. Currently, as I'm sitting in this chair, I feel disappointed. Mm-hmm. I feel frustrated. And it's frustrating because it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. This, this feeling is, it happens every quarter almost, this heavy disappointment. So that's where I am right now. Cam, mm. mm-hmm. how about you? That was good. Um, for me, um, I'm just drained. I'm tired. Um, I don't feel like I'm my best self just because, you know, you pour out so much in all these different conversations. You're trying to build a bridge am I saying the right thing or not people are coming to you now for guidance Mm. um so it's been really draining it's been really tough but you know you just kind of deal with it and you you keep continuing to to go there if the situation calls for it um and having those deep conversations we talked last week uh and and you said something about your your grandparents reaction as you were processing with them about that how are they feeling and that was insightful for me they're numb to it to them this is this is nothing like they're not even moved by it when i ask them about it they're just like cam what what's the problem because to them they said the only difference is y'all have camera phones to Mm -hmm. record this now outside of that camera this has been what's been going on mind you my grandparents are like 72 and 73 hmm. so that gives you the context of what they lived through one uh one grandparents from mississippi so mm-hmm. you know how that goes and then the other ones were born and raised here and even in them just describing the city and who lived on what side and how the city was divided and how it's changed they're just not faced by it mm-hmm. i think from my perspective it's interesting because like Robbie mentioned my husband and um, if you've met David Brown you know he is happy he's hopeful he's just full of light and on this topic he isn't Mm -hmm. he is very much a realist and he's like numb and I don't know what's gonna change is anything gonna change I don't I don't know I don't bet on it and that's in 99% of him is not that way he sees the best in all people yep. but with this topic he's not he's not there because i think the numbness yeah. um takes place we've been doing life together in a, in a hybrid type group yeah. so our our keisha and david and emily and i we do couples the first wednesday night of the month and then the second wednesday night we do just guys third wednesday just girls and then the fourth wednesday we all get together as family so we've gotten to know each other's kids and yeah. And, you know, it's, it's been a cool season. Uh, we had our group last night, and David, I felt that in him. And, man, it just broke my heart because mm-hmm. that um, the, the weight of how he's been carrying this um, mm-hmm. it was significant. But that's, uh, not, that's not uncommon for many black people and black men specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a common, you just got like a snapshot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, uh, we talked, I was talking to David a little bit last night and getting an understanding, but for the two of you, uh, how is racial injustice or these experiences, have they been personal to you? Um, I think for me, it's microaggression as well as like the overt racism. Mm. Um, I would say microaggression in, in regards to like, I'm a director, one of two directors at Attento Counseling in Cumming, Georgia, which is in Forsyth County. And a part of the role as a director is you go to different schools and doctor's offices and you market to let people know about the clinicians at your office, their specialties, the insurances you provide, all that stuff. And sometimes you bring a group of clinicians with you so that you can have a group conversation. We did that at a local school. And as I'm coming in, ready for our meeting, I was kind of dismissed, not in a rude way, but like, well... In the way that you know. It's obvious. Right. Oh, okay, well, we're looking for the director and pointed to one of my clinicians who was not in leadership, a white female, and started to speak to her as if she knew who we were meeting with, what the agenda was going to be. And I had to take a step back and be like, okay, I know what this is, and articulately not be offended, but assertively say excuse me, I'm the director, we're having the meeting with Mrs. Such and Such, Mm. and 
you know, let her know maybe your assumption was wrong. In fact, it was. Yep. And so that's like microaggressions that happen. And, you all know, the time. yeah, it happens all the time. You just grow and choose not to be offended. Hmm. I have to choose not to be offended in that moment because I have things to do and goals to accomplish. But then outside of that, I think of like, I have a younger brother and um, he went to school in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, great school, military, the Citadel. Citadel. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he has the Citadel tag on his car. So you already know that he's a collegiate person. And then the police will pull him over all the time. Like, I say all the time. That's an exaggeration, but often enough. And it happened when he had his teammate, who was a white guy, in the front seat with him. And only when he was with his friend, who was his teammate, if anyone's played sports... They know that your teammates become like your family because you go right. through a lot together. You with them all the time. Exactly. And it wasn't until he was in the seat with him in the car that he was able to look and be like, dang, hmm. this is a reality. This like, you really get stopped for nothing. Hmm. And, it, and it didn't sink in until he was there with him. And, and that's, I mean, that's sad. It's, it's unfortunate. But yeah. Thanks. What about you, Cam? Um, I think we all know people who look like us that have had some type of issue. I mean, I've been pulled over before, and I'm not talking about for something crazy. Just, oh, we clocked you in at this. And, you know, you get so worked up, so anxious. You're like, I need to do everything perfect. Let me keep my hands right here. I'm going to talk very clearly and very slowly. I'm not going to make any sudden movements. And that can be whether, like in my case, I think I've been fortunate because this happened in Alpharetta. So I had on my business attire. So and I was down the street from where I work. Yep. But, you know, you you feel these different things that doesn't even get into. The, I, I like how you said the microaggressions. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in walking in stores, walking out in public, sometimes at restaurants, football games, just anywhere. It's like you have to be so aware of who is in this room. Who am I around? How can they perceive me? Mm-hmm. And you just come to learn over time. Oh, if they do this and this, okay, we got to, can't do this, can't say that. I need to make sure I do this very, very intentionally to show that it's not going to be a bigger issue. So so to these micro kind of aggressions, it, you, I hear you guys talking about this like low grade awareness that you have to be aware of, like, especially I'm assuming in like rural areas or you don't really even try to go to rural areas. If we've been like, I went to college at Valdosta State, which is south, like yeah. south Georgia. Yeah. yeah, I'm from Tallahassee. I know Valdosta. See, yeah. see? you saw words. how her eyes lit up because you know it's like, hmm, everything's a lot slower. Huh. Everything is just it's very low key. Like to explain it to somebody is very hard because you grew up and you're like, oh, that's what that is. So to the average person, your buddy. They're just like, I don't, I don't see it. Mm. Yeah. You didn't see how they connected eyes with you and hurried up and darted away or they're low key trailing me this whole time. But I'm just act like I'm in here shopping. Like, I don't know that you're following me through this store, but you know, it's cool. And is that an awareness that you feel like low grade? I mean, it sounds like it's so you're so used to it, but is that a low grade awareness that you have to deal with on like a weekly basis, a monthly, daily? It's every day. If you're in public, depending on which part of town, where you are, you have to be aware of where am I? Who is in here? Age, Hmm. you know, what do they look like? Do I know people here? Like all of that factors in because you, you don't know how it plays out. So you, I have to not be a threat right now. Yeah, I think about um, there was a circumstance when we were in Alpharetta where um, a woman in a car backed into David's truck, my mm. husband's truck. And she was dead wrong, wasn't paying attention, music really loud. And normally I would be like, okay, I'm going to stay in a car with the baby, let you know, David handle it. But then I looked in my rearview mirror and saw it was a white woman. I said, no, David, sit down. Like, get back in the car. And he's like, wait. I'm like, nope. Get back in the car and I'll go talk to her. Because the visual is bad. Mm. Like, if someone to walk by and see, you know, my 6'3", 300-plus pound husband talking to this white woman about... That's a no. It just... The optics. I want to avoid it. Looks terrible. Mm. What? 
the fact that that's an optics that's so normative to your life, what does that, I mean, what does that say about this, the culture and the systemic um, perspective of the society that we live in? That it wasn't built for us. Huh. This society was not built for us. And I wish I had a more... That's pretty. Yeah. My godmom just said that on the way up here. She was like, "Yeah, the country was built for white America," and it's like, "How you gonna argue?" And the and the thing is, it's not a woe is me, and yeah. my life is horrible. No, God has been good to me. Right. I'm glad to be born black. I'm proud of it. Um, what I will say is that it calls for those who see the injustice and to see the inequality those who call themselves Christ followers to not see it too and be like, Oh, that's bad over there. Like, no, since you see it, you have to do something about it. And you can't be silent to do that. You can't be comfortable to do that. Um, but it's, I think that's what you're called to do. Mm. I agree. That's a nice way to put it. So, (laughs) (laughs) so y'all both have kids. Um, Mm. How, what does this look like in raising black kids in America? What, what do you have to consider? It's stressful. You go, because my baby's new. He's one. Oh, see, my kid is about to turn five on Sunday. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's challenging because what you don't want to do is put your fears and anxieties into your kid. Mm. But on the flip side, you don't want your kid to be oblivious at all to how things work and what goes on. So that in and of itself is a very fine line um, in terms of how you try to teach your kids. You try to push them to be the best, period. So that way you can eliminate any kind of excuse that can come up. You know, like my two and a half year old, she's two and a half. Robbie, you know, that's the age where they're everywhere. Come super on. adventurous all over the place. But, you know, there's research that shows just kids in general. Whenever they're doing that, oh, your kid is ADHD and all this stuff. So you have to start, hey, you need to sit down because you get a little out of control. Hey, they may start trying to label you because let my mom tell it. They did the same to me. I didn't know this, Mm. but she was like, yeah, he don't have ADHD. He's bored. Y'all not challenging him. So give him double. I know they're doing one worksheet. Give him three. Then you won't have those problems. But they were about to say, oh, yeah, he, he has yeah. ADHD. He's a good kid. So you start learning these things. You try to teach them um, to handle life in the best way that they can. Yeah, that's powerful, especially like I'm a counselor, like I said. And um, doing this work, I've learned from other, you know, black counselors to look at things from a perspective of like a systemic view. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot more black boys that are being labeled with having oppositional defiant disorder or like a behavior challenges when in actuality they might be anxious or mm. nervous yeah. um having low level um just worries and how do they operate within that they try to control the environment around them sometimes when that happens they get in trouble but instead of getting to the source of like what is really going on we don't get that privilege of curiosity is an assumption that's made and that's sad and that, that hurts my heart for for the children that are in this world that you know that's what they're subject to but it doesn't always have to be that way if people yeah. can change their perceptions and that's why a lot of times we talk about diversity everywhere because and i've seen this in churches and youth groups whenever you have a diverse staff you will always get better results because like me, I went to basically, I think our high school was like 93% white. There weren't that many teachers that looked like me. Mm. So you're hoping every teacher is good across the board. Yep. But those black teachers, oh, they got you. Mm. They going to kind of pull you to the side. Hey, you can't do this. Hey, you okay? Hey, you got lunch money? You, They just, because they know, yep. they understand like, okay, we know how this goes. Versus you don't know what you're going to get on the other side of that. So I think for me, um, all of my, I will say what's happening now in this season has hit me differently because I have a baby and I still look at her as a baby, but I see him get more and more boy like and look more yep. like a little boy. Yeah. Um, and in regards to just 
like racial tension, I feel like my dad's got this. He's been here. He knows how to handle himself. He's strong. He's smart. He got it. My brother, he's got this too. So does my husband. Like the men in my life, I think that they know the game. They know the rules and they know how to operate within it. Is it fair? No, but they know it. And I look at his little self. And Cammy haven't met him, but he's so cute. And <laughs> I'll second that. Man, he's special. I was kidding. <laughs> but he's 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 just pure and God created him. And yeah. we fought so hard to have him. And when I think about how as he gets older he'll change from being cute yep. to being mischievous and from being mischievous maybe to dangerous. Cause he's not gonna be a little boy. You know, no. I'm five eleven, my husband's six three. Like he's gonna be He's tall. Right. And the thing is, the metamorphosis of the perception I can't control. And yeah. that makes me sad. And that's hurt. Because I got two girls. So there's a whole stereotype about you just being a black woman. So it's right now, oh their hair is so cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. And people just want to touch on you like, please stop. Yeah. That's at five and two. Okay, eventually they're going to be 18 and 16, or they're going to be 22 and 20. Perception changes. Oh, well, you were cute, but now, mm, you know, she's angry. You have so many different, and you're just like, dang, how do I prep them for this? How do I make them strong? But, hey, you can't be too strong, because if you're too strong, then they're going to try to say this. Okay. You, you said uh, you don't feel like uh, the country's built for you. Do you feel like your life matters as much as others in the in the U.S.? I will say I think my life matters to my family and to the people that know me. Great mm-hmm. answer. So the people that know me, okay, so Robbie, you know me. So if I'm in Dawsonville and I'm with you, I feel like I matter. Not because you provide me validity, but because there's an acknowledgement and understanding. Now, if I was in Dawsonville solo... Mm-mm. I don't think so. They don't know me. I'm just a person that's distant, disconnected. They don't see me as someone they can be close to. So then I don't matter. This is hard to process because for a lot of, uh, I mean, the things y'all are talking about, the low grade carrying around, walking around with an entire lens that you need for protection and safety and functioning in a society that doesn't feel like it's built for you or for you. Mm how you would have to raise your kids with balancing these tensions of uh, being strong but not too strong because other people are projecting things on you that you have to then adjust who you are and how you are to that. Pretty much. David, 6'3", 300 pounds, played football at Georgia Tech, and he carries around that I have to err on the side of the nice, gentle giant because... They're starting with an assumption of me that is wrongly starting point that has me that I have to subtly be aware of and change all over the place all the time. That exhaustion, having to talk to your kids differently, the Cam, what you're talking about, your reactivity of police and how you're going to have to engage in that. I've never thought. I mean, police are for you. You know, as a white guy, I grew up and it's like, no, you got a problem. Just go to the police. Call them. They're there to help you. I don't. I don't. I go into an interview, anything else, and, you know, it's, I don't have to worry about their perceptions or whatever. Um, that It's so hard for a lot of us because we don't have to think about these things, which is privilege from my understanding of, yeah. like, it's not, all of us have privilege, not, uh, well, well, white privilege is something that is not, um, I, this is a question I'm trying to get to. Okay. White privilege is not something that I should feel ashamed of, I think, or guilty about, because it's not a damn, a damning like like thing that is I messed up and therefore I have white privilege. No, it's just a, like a descriptor. It's mm-hmm. like being white in America comes with privilege, and so it's a descriptor that I have privilege just by the fact that I don't have to do pretty much any of the things you guys have talked about on this podcast or be aware of them because. That's a privilege. That's a that's an asset of being part of the majority. It's but a descriptor. But you know, people will argue that, right? Yeah. Like people will argue you down that. No, we all have the same opportunities. This is America. If you work hard, 
you get the same opportunity. Because mind you, yeah. How do you, how do you of, feel when you hear those statements? Like, I mean, I laugh. It's all equal. Everybody has opportunity. They're not lying, and I think that's the part where they struggle. We're not saying that what you said is incorrect. What we're telling you is right. We all have the same opportunity to get to the store, but the route that I have to go is probably a lot longer than your straight line route. Yep. But they don't look at it. No, no, you're trying to diminish my hard work and all that I put into. No, we're not. Yep. We're just telling you that you essentially have a head start or a much shorter and direct path. When you go into a job interview, you just show up, do your thing. When I go into a job interview, let me make sure I, I articulate every single letter. Let me make sure I'm making direct eye contact and my body posture. You have to do all of that and hope I really hope that this doesn't go racial. I really hope they're just looking at my qualifications, my yep. degrees, and that's it. Yeah. I think when I think of white privilege, I think of the idea that it's the truth that you being white has never been used to impede your success. That's right. And you being white didn't contribute to any of your difficulties. Like, if you had some barriers in your life, you being white didn't add to it. And I think that's the difference. And it's not a judgment. It's like you said, it's an actual thing. I don't think it's, oh, no, excuse me, I want to say this right. I no longer think it's acceptable to pretend that doesn't exist. Right. You have to own that it exists. Right. If you're doing that, you're willfully being, you now you're the opposition. Huh. In my opinion. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Because the opposition, in my opinion, is anything, anybody who is looking at um, the culture that we're in and the disparity between how African-American black people are treated. The the opposition is people who say, be quiet. Yep. You're too loud. They minimize you. Yes. And you are, if you are not for me, then you are obviously against me. So now you are an opponent. And I don't think that's what people intentionally try to do when they say white privilege doesn't exist i don't think that's the intention yeah but you are yeah because as a majority Mm -hmm. there are privileges that come with that we do not have the the challenges the innate systemic injustices and discrimination to overcome to get to the starting point so if i've got the privileges as a majority if i'm passive with my voice and and that role as a majority, I am perpetuating injustice. You're complicit. So it's privilege everywhere. And Ari, uh, my wife, she was a she had like some <laughs> communication classes, and literally one course was on all the different types of privilege, heterosexual yeah. privilege, mm-hmm. everything. So everybody has some type of privilege. Yeah. We're just specifically today talking about that particular one. White privilege. Right. And white, white privilege as the majority. Um, if I am passive with that privilege and that position as a majority, I am perpetuating injustice and division and inequality continuing. And that feels horrible to sit with. That's why people don't want to sit with it. Because it's easier to be passive. Because yeah. I can. Because that's privilege. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to. I have and it's, it's easier not to. So to own that means effort and sacrifice. And so naturally I should... Counselor Keisha, defend. I mean, naturally, I would. All of us, human, as humans, go defensive in justification and rationalization in order to take the path of least resistance and easiest, which is from a position of privilege means, well, to dismiss, to, to minimize, rationalize. to rationalize, yeah. to fact, to point to facts like Armad. We don't, you know, he shouldn't have gone in that house, or you know, the the rioter shouldn't be looting. That's right. Or, well, they shouldn't be looting because look at all the damage they're You know, I am using facts and rationalization to bypass understanding the major point that systemic pain has been happening because of injustice. And I am stepping over the opportunity to love the two of you by focusing on facts and rationalization, which perpetuates my position. And that's that's what we're asking as and i'm not speaking for the whole black culture but all we're asking is a just understand what you literally just said just understand it and then 
try to help us to just change it and build these bridges. Yeah. We're not saying like, oh, you're the most evil person in the world. We're just saying, understand that there's these differences. And hey, when you see them, hey, check that friend that makes that racial joke. Yes. You know, yep. let them know like, hey, dude, I don't play like that. No, because we grew up. In, if you grew up in Georgia, you know these jokes. Yep. But. It, it, Tyreek, uh, our, our mutual friend, told me about a year and a half ago. He said, he said, Robbie, um, in our society with the, the impact of media and culture and like 400 years of rationalization in Christian country rationalizing injustices and slavery and how deeply embedded that is into theology and rationalization that most everybody is racist in regards to discrimination and beliefs and perspectives about other people he said that is not being christian being christian is being anti-racist and that's what i hear you saying cam of like look passivity enables and continues but anti-racist would be am i stepping up and saying something if i hear yeah. it which costs you something though yeah like that cost you to be able to because I, I may rub in the wrong way like, oh you always we just playing <laughs> i mean i've had to do it in my teenage small group yeah because we had one guy who was asian and there was a picture you know how like at north point and all the different rooms they just got random stock images yeah and it was a picture of an asian family and you the joke went towards that and they're laughing and I'm like that's not funny and then yeah. everybody all of a sudden was like huh I'm like I don't care that he laughed cause maybe he he just trying to fit in cause like we said you you kinda gotta go with the flow so you don't rock the boat mm. but they're laughing I'm like no why would if this is your friend that y'all have grown up with that's not funny cause you're trying to say that he looks like this stock image who he don't even know these people so it's a very challenging thing yeah. to navigate, yeah. um, but you have to do it if you're for what's right. If we're trying to be like Jesus, which is apparently what we say, right? Christian, yeah. Christ-like. Yo, you, you can't do that. We, we got to build bridges and love each other. So what is a practical step uh, for white people in this time? Super complex, super complicated. What would you say is a practical, A or multiple practical steps for white people? I think one step um, Cam talked about, and it's being able to hold people accountable that are in your circle. And I, I think I was talking to a friend recently um, where there was people at our table, whether it be a father or a brother or whatever, making a joke or making a comment that mm -hmm. internally makes you cringe because you don't agree, you know it's inappropriate or racist, but in that moment you don't want to say something because it would make the family dinner uncomfortable it would cause the conversation to get a little prickly well if you want to advocate for black people then you do need to make yourself uncomfortable you do need to say that that was not funny that's not okay yep. i disagree we believe this way instead and and i also say i think the motivator for those things yes it would be great if everyone was mindful that we're all humans and every human should be treated equally but mm -hmm. let's be real we really only care about the people that we care about yep like the people that we know intimately we love right, right. so i think another thing is it's a problem if all the people you care about and love look exactly like you oh she stole my point i stole your point well it was a good it's one okay. <laughs> <laughs> but i think you have to expand your circles get to know the people you work with your neighbors the people that don't look like you um, because then that's a motivator to say, no, I can't let this sit. This yep. is going to hurt me because it's hurting them. Yep. Yeah. So, and I think that's a great point. Cause like I said, you stole my point. I think one of the biggest things that I always try to push is do life with people who don't look like you. Mm -hmm. Cause that's where a lot of this learning is going to happen. That's where you start to learn people's heart. It's not going to be so much. Oh, they said the wrong, the wrong thing, but I know they heart. I know what they're trying to get at. And I mean, Robbie, that's something that even in us doing a small group together, that's what you shared with us. It's not always about, hey, as a white person, how can you come and fix my world? I'm not necessarily asking you to fix it. I just want you to understand and sit in it with me like, yo, there's a chance that he has a completely different experience and he has to think of way different things. And that sucks. You don't have to fix it. But when you do life with people, that's where those conversations start to happen. It becomes a lot easier. So now when you do have questions or you see something that the media portrays, that's what I begin. Hey, 
you know, I saw this on the news and it just didn't seem right. So I wanted to ask you questions. We already have equity. We have three, four or five years of doing life together. Right. I'm not offended because I know you at this point. Yep. So, you know, Robbie, I guess for you, how would that, how does this, I don't know if, how does it sound? How does it come across to you? But you mean this whole conversation and this like everything, everything where, where our society's at as a white guy watching this thing. I wasn't going to say that. The white sure. guy perspective. Uh, I think I'm angry mm-hmm. more than I have been, uh, ever. Um, and I'm hopeful because I feel like, you know, um, We've seen these things, it feels like quarterly for the past like 10 years exactly. with videos and camera phones. And I feel like I'm, 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 I've reached an anger threshold that I've never been at. And I'm embarrassed to say that because I should have felt angry for people I love and injustices before, but this is different. And, and I'm hopeful that for our country, we have seen enough that every time it's a push of the flywheel that we can't rationalize, we can't protect our own assumptions and frameworks of how life is and how black people should think and how they should see the world, which is so messed up anyways, to to project my framework and view onto somebody else without walking around and seeing it from their view to seek understanding. But I've done that. And, and, because you can, because you don't have to. And, but as these things are happening, um, I think the, we're at a point in our society where I'm hopeful that the majority of the majority cannot continue to um, rationalize away or point to facts, but to pause and say, I trust your experience is real and I believe it. And when we do that, it's freaking maddening and I am so angry um, watching George there and realizing and understanding and I'm a slow learner it's taken years of watching this it's like y'all aren't surprised by it or shocked by it which is so messed up um, and it's so messed up how I've rationalized and thought about stuff in the past as I know I have in my brain and missed opportunities uh, to love and and that I you know so shame's building up in me a little bit which um, is is not good and embarrassment about this I've got anxiety about this and you know I think a lot of us uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all white people but we don't know what we don't know and so even talking about this am I going to say something wrong am I messing up am I offending somebody I don't want to offend anybody unnecessarily but you know what's even more offensive though than the fact that you're quote unquote trying which I believe you are because I know you What's more offensive is when every time one of these things happen, they go back into the past and try to dig up some old police report. Yeah. Or they go yeah. back to when they were in 10th grade and they stole some gum out the candy store. Or they try to negate, you know, oh, well, he passed. But, you know, oh, he was on some drugs. Or, you know, she they used to do this. To us, that's what's offensive. Because it's like, okay, that's a great point that you went and dug up. But that still has nothing to do with when that cop... You're, you're bypassing love and empathy right. to protect and rationalize your perspective. Right, and that's what hurts. You know, because it's like, okay, let's say he was a criminal or she was or whatever. When that cop arrested them, they didn't know that. All they know is they pulled up and it's a person doing whatever they assume, whatever crime or whatever the case. Yeah. That's what hurts us because we're like... And it happens every single time. Like oh, yeah. We can tell you the, the whole time. They're going to catch them. Mm-hmm. We know within a matter of days they're going to dig up some old something yep. and try to make them look bad. Which to us, why are you trying to villainize the situation? Or the opposite, have to prove their worth. Yep. Like they, she was a nurse or she was an EMT or these are all the good things. He went to college, she had a degree. Does it matter? He's a human being who's right. killed. There is something wrong with our hearts when we're trying to do both of those things. Right. To to justify someone being hurt and killed by something they did. That that's a that's a check that our hearts are off in a major way. And man, I think I mean it's just heavy because um, 
I mean, indirect messages, direct messages, media. I mean, the media is an entertainment business. And so uh, I look at headlines of looting more than a peaceful protest because it's more compelling. And Mm -hmm. you look at headlines of this or that to affirm different stuff in different ways that I just, there's a sadness I feel in this season of like how I've not loved people uh, because I've been in my head more than trying to be in my heart about understanding. And I, I think about how I've missed opportunities to be anti-racist in the past. Like I, I have a, memories in my head of like where I missed opportunities to advocate and um, be proactive. Um, I, ha- I have thoughts about, you know, um, you know, how I've rationalized stuff in the past as well, looking at stuff and hearing, you know, different news and analysis that justifies or rationalizes that perpetuates a, a framework. And I think about that through the lens of like, Jesus never did that. Like he, he, he loved the person and met them, the person with such like empathy. And like, you think about like the woman caught in adultery, the, the leper, the, Samaritan woman um, at, at the well, the woman suffering from bleeding, the the tax collector is the key. It's like he met people with such a humanity and a love that I have not done. And so I, I'm a little sad. I mean, I grieve a little bit, missed opportunities um, to not love like Jesus is loved. And I don't know, I feel so... I, I feel sad about that, and I'm sorry to you two listening mm-hmm. to this as friends. Um, so I was, I was thinking about it this morning um, and praying about, all right, about to do this podcast. How is this going to roll? Um, one white dude, what am I going to do? And the, and the thought is, I mean, I've got to ask, what what does love require of me? That's all I can do. Looking at how Jesus modeled, I can ask myself, what does love look like for me personally? And uh, here's a couple things I wrote down just right before y'all got here this morning. Um, of like, what, what would I want to commit to my brother and sister? And um, I wrote down a couple bullets. I'll just I'll just read them. I'll pull out this note. Um, as a majority and as a white man, I will not be passive, and therefore passively participate in the injustice continuing. But I will be active. I will be anti-racist. I will remind myself that I shouldn't project my framework or understanding onto others, but will work to understand and trust their experience. I will continue to be curious, teachable, and seek to understand your reality more deeply through open conversations and learning. I will capture and challenge internal thoughts, ideas, or beliefs that are discriminatory. When I'm tempted to respond to an emotional hurt with logical response or fact, I will pause in knowing that I'm missing an opportunity to increase understanding and therefore empathy and love. And I am going to use my voice to do a better job advocating for the racial injustice that is happening. I don't know. I I think you did a fabulous job explaining things specifically, but I am kind of curious. Like when when you say that you're going to use your voice, because that's big and it's general. What does that look like for you? Like Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I hope. I mean, I hope this podcast will start i uh i mean we all have platforms and influence we're all leaders we all have our circles of influence so i think my family i think social media i think my friend group i think when i see that that thing trying to compare you know that post on facebook from somebody trying to compare why aren't we as angry about abortion as racial injustice Mm. do i respond and go both of those are horrible but are you subtly diminishing one to try to probably, you know, that that's like, I'm, I'm going to speak up on that. I think I, I want to model and celebrate, um, diversity more as Cam was talking about, like, who are your people? What's your, where are you spending time? And are you appreciating the diversity, mm-hmm. um, and looking for opportunities to expand 
that influence and reach for the betterment of me and my family and, you know, just be more proactive because if I'm not proactive, you get into your circles of your circles and that's cause that's easy and it's not work. So I want to do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I love my- the emotional with the response, with the logical, like I see that so much where people, you know, are trying to express like, yo, we're upset, we're angry, we're hurting. And it's all, it's like you, you're in debate club or something. It's like, what? But logically speaking, like even something as simple as all lives matter versus black. Like, okay. Gosh. Like that's <laughs> one of those things that take most people I know off the edge. Cause we're not, it, first off, this isn't like a right or wrong thing. We're not trying to debate, but like, it's, it's just so crazy how you can literally be bleeding. You can be hurting. You can be crying. And it's like, people are trying to put facts and look up statistics, which we all know you can find statistics yep. to support any point you want. And paint it. And it's like, instead of doing all that, like, can you just, like, just listen with your heart right now? Can you just, just be here? Like, yeah. just understand that we trying to tell you, yo, this is messed up. And and if our community that has been hurt is hurt by All Lives Matter, but we're going to use rationalization and, well, they do. And to continue to justify hurting somebody, that's so messed up. And that analogy of like, you know, firemen don't go down, a house is on fire. It's like, well, all houses matter. Yeah, but burning ones, like, yeah, we need to pay we a little got, bit more attention. Yeah, you got to pay a little bit more attention to that one. But I've seen it. I mean, literally this whole week, when I tell you I've had, I'm, I'm sure over 30 conversations by now at this point in one week. Right. And that's not me even jumping into other people's posts. I'll just keep scrolling because yeah. I've learned from very important people. You don't have to hit everything. Sometimes you just scroll, you read it, you're just like, hmm, I would have never thought this person would have thought that. Or, yeah. hmm, it's interesting how they're using this one viewpoint to frame their whole argument. But, but yeah. Can I say one thing? I really feel like the foundation to all of this is that you don't see your black brothers and sisters uh, in humanity, but in Christ as brothers and sisters. It's, you're putting oh. politics over humanity you know they said that's how i don't know but i'm gonna leave that alone i'm just saying you put politics over humanity political um what is it called political parties political parties socioeconomic status um whatever other thing Mm. whatever idol you put it above that we are human beings and we're all a part of this family we're all god's kids and jesus called us to be in community and to carry each other's burdens if you did that if you did that there would be no rationalization it's you're hurting let me do something to yep. help and that's what trips us out like and i talked about this yesterday with a couple people i was like being black and a christian it's really hard yeah because like if we want to just go off scripture we really shouldn't have this conversation one because you can just go off of god said hey love me and right after that like and love thy neighbor as yourself like that that's it and he didn't qualify neighbor yeah neighbor. he didn't say your black neighbor your white neighbor your middle eastern your just love your neighbor the same way that you love me and that will solve like everything so i couldn't sleep a couple nights ago just like what do i do like how, how do i like what 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 do i do in this situation i, I don't know i'm we're wading through this together in vulnerability yeah, yeah. and i I haven't stopped thinking about, I don't even know if it's a good one. Uh, it, it, I mean, there, there might be better, but I haven't stopped thinking about the story of the Samaritan, uh, the oh, good Samaritan. The woman at the well? No, not the Samaritan woman, the uh, the good Samaritan. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. On, the road. on the road. And so I was reading it this morning, so I, I think we should wrap up this podcast with a little reading. We've never done that on this new version of the podcast. So we'll read this uh, story out of the message version. This is in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Just then a religious scholar stood up with the question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. 
There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came to him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers, the one who treated him kindly? The religious scholar responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. Man, that that model of love is not easy. Mm-hmm. It takes sacrifice, and it is not passive, but it is proactive. And we have had 400 years that have affected uh, brothers and sisters unfairly. And hopefully it's getting better, but we got a long way to go. Um, and so that I, 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 I want to uh, do what I can to love more intentionally because Jesus told us to. And in chapter 11 on Luke, I, I, uh, Jesus prays this prayer just a couple verses later. I think we could all pray this together, uh, whoever's listening to this. Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. God, we love you. You're awesome. Thank you for Cam and Keisha, and thank you for this group. Help us all to understand what love looks like, how to love each other more effectively, just like you did, because that's what we get the chance to do. I love you guys. Amen. Amen. Y'all are awesome. This was fun. Uh, We hope this was an encouragement. Thanks for the grace and the patience with us as three friends navigate this and jump into it. Uh, Share it with your friends. Share it wherever. Uh, It's a way to share a voice, uh, one voice. Like it, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, we love you guys out there representing True Face Life. Uh, Let's do this. See you guys.